I don't have a problem being still before the Lord. No. <laughs> I was praying this week and I was like telling God what I need to do. <laughs> oh my. Just be still, right? Just be still. Look at the, we are in the book of John. We're in chapter 12, verse 12. We continue walking through the word. Uh, I had computer problems this morning. And so my text font is smaller than it normally is. So if I'm squinting like this and I look up at you like that, I'm not looking at you in a disgusted way. Okay. I'm just trying to see the words that are on the paper here. So bear with me. We're in chapter 12, verse 12. Jesus is making his final entrance into Jerusalem. It is called his triumphal entrance. So let's read what the word has to say. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when, they, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was, was that they heard he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that they are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him now among those who went to worship at the fit at the feast were some greeks so these came to philip who was from Bethsaida, Bethsaida, and galilee and asked him sir we wish to see jesus philip went and told andrew andrew and philip went to jesus and jesus answered them and we'll stop there this week and we'll pick that up next week what jesus answer is but jesus is the top of the world jesus was such a controversial person that it was impossible for him to be near Jerusalem and remain unnoticed. From all, from all over the country, from all areas of the world, people came to the Passover feast. Not only did they want to see Jesus, but they wanted to see the man that Jesus raised from the dead. And I do want to mention this. Lazarus was not the only person that Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus had raised others from the dead, but this, but this one's different. This one was different. Lazarus was put in the tomb, dead for four days. You can't get any deader than Lazarus was. There, there's no question as whether he was dead or not. Everyone knew that. But people wanted to see him alive with their own eyes. And I'm sure many wanted to ask him about what he remembered or what he saw while he was dead. You know, for the rest of his life, that question just keeps coming at Lazarus. But as we learned last week, God does not think we need to know that info, so we don't have it. But this sign really had everyone's attention. And so the crowds were coming to see Jesus and to see Lazarus. Now, now that the worship service, now, now the worship service is over at the house. John shifts the scene from a quiet dinner in Bethany to a noisy public parade in Jerusalem. The scene may have changed, but some things do not change, like the division. 
We saw Jesus, how Jesus caused a division in people last week, just because of who he is. Because of Christ, we can see love and we can see hate. We can see worship and we can see blasphemy. We see belief and rejection all because of who Jesus is. And I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. So if I repeat it, just like your parents, it must be important. Because of who Jesus is, we have to decide who our family is. We have to decide for ourselves, am I a child of God or a child of Satan? You can make that choice. You can make that choice right now at this very moment. As a matter of fact, I highly encourage you to make that choice right now because Jesus can return at any moment. He could return before I finish this sermon. Not that my sermon is going to be so long that Jesus would come back before I finish, but he could return at this very moment. And when Jesus returns, he will divide the people by families. The word says he divides the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, believers from unbelievers, the saved from the lost. In the end, Jesus will do the dividing. And that is a fact. And so we ended last week talking about Judas and Jewish leaders. Everything was going great until Judas tried to ruin a beautiful worship service. And we saw the love and worship in the heart of Mary, but then there was just hate, rejection, and betrayal in the heart of Judas. And since Judas could no longer cash in on Jesus, he leaves the worship service, heads straight to the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill Jesus. So the line of love and hate could not, been, could not have been more defined. So let's see how it unfolds today. He says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This event is recorded in all four Gospels. And I'll pick up on what some of the other Gospels have to say to get a larger picture of what happened. But do know this. This Passover is not like any other Passover celebration. Jesus is in town, yes, but he's been there before. But now things are different. They are different because he has raised a dead man from the grave. We can say a resurrection has happened. A dead man was raised to life. Everyone knows about this event. Jesus is known by everyone. He has been healing and teaching for the past three and a half years. But there's something different about this Passover. There's something different about this man, Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who has proven to be the Messiah. That's important because many can claim to be the Messiah, but no one can prove it. Many today claim to be Jesus, but they can't prove it. The words he spoke were nothing like any man had ever spoken before. They came from God. The miracles he performed, the, the prophecies he fulfilled, proved that he was who he claimed to be. What did he say to the Samaritan woman at the well? John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus never denied who he was. When John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask him, are you the expected one? You know, that is the Messiah. Or shall we look for someone else? Did Jesus say, no, no, it's not me. 
He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, look at the miracles. Look at the signs as proof that I am he, the Messiah. He said, go and report to John what you hear and see. He told them, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. Jesus proved who he was through his divine power by healing the sick, casting out demons, and raising the dead. And so there were some who were starting to believe that he was indeed the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was truly the one who was coming to save the nation of Israel, to set them free. They, they may not have understood it all, but they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Now picture this. There's thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem just for the Passover celebration. And now they believe that Jesus is coming to the Passover to set Israel free. They say to say that the enthusiasm in the people was high would be an understatement. These people were about to go, as they say, outside their mind, right? Figure that one out. God is going to fulfill his promises to the nation of, the, of Israel, and the people are ecstatic. There's a lot of buzz going on in town. Now, to know exactly, to, to know what exactly this multitude of people thought about Jesus would be difficult. I mean, did they really understand who he was? Did they know that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah of Israel? Did they? Well, like I said, some may have. Were there people there who believed he was a king who would deliver them from Roman oppression? I'm sure there were. Many were looking for that kind of savior. Were there people there on that day that just got caught up in their own emotions and didn't have a clue was what was going on, but that was going to be part of the parade? Absolutely. We can't know what each person was thinking in their heart, but I can say this. The ones who really knew Jesus for who he is were the minority. Because by the end of the week, the crowds chose Barabbas and were shouting, crucify him when it came to Jesus. Like I said, Jesus had come to Jerusalem many times before. This time was different because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. But there's also something else is different here. This time, Jesus was doing something different. This time, he is accepting the people's praise where before he rejected it. This time, he is letting people worship him as king, whereas before he would not let that happen. If you remember in John 6, 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The time was not right. God is in control and he has always been in control. And he is the one who says when his hour will come. But on this day, on this day, Jesus is accepting the praise. He's letting people call him king. And I believe that news traveled real fast. Now is the time the people are proclaiming. The one who has raised Lazarus from the dead. The one who has power over life. A Jewish man from Galilee is the one who has been sent by God because no one could do what Jesus has done unless he is from God. Jerusalem was the, was the city of great kings and the king is coming, they were proclaiming. 
The king is coming. They were so, so excited. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means praise God. They were going to be free. Hosanna, Hosanna. They said, praise God, praise God, they're shouting. They're waving palm branches and throwing them down on the path, which, which were symbols of victory. Victory was coming. Here comes the king. Here comes the conqueror. Can you feel the excitement that they had? They've been waiting for thousands of years for this time to come. They have not heard from God. They have not heard from God as a nation for over 400 years. But now is the time to shout Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in Hebrew means please save or save now. Give salvation now. So praise God, they were saying, who will save us now. Praise God. But just like in today's time, I'm sure many did not understand what they really needed to be saved from. Many wanted God to save them from the government. Nothing new under the sun. <laughs> many may have wanted to be saved from oppression or maybe saved from poverty. God, save me from this difficult life. I want an easy life, some may have thought. Save me from sickness. Save me from heartache. Save me from loneliness. And the list goes on and on to be saved. I am sure many did not and do not today understand what humanity needs to be saved from. So we're going to talk about salvation for a minute. Salvation is deliverance from danger or suffering. To save is to deliver or protect. What are we saved from? Humanity, people need to be saved from wrath. That is God's judgment of sin. Write this verse in your margins, right by Hosanna. Romans 5, 8 through 11. It says it best. We know it. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we are saved from the wrath of God. Sin has made us an enemy of God, but through the blood, we are able to be saved from that wrath. It is through the blood of Jesus that reconciliation is possible with man and God. So the question is, how does one get saved? How do we receive salvation? The word tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we must hear or read the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus's death and resurrection. Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you hear the gospel and you believe. To believe is to fully trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe involves repentance now some people don't like that word 
But remember what Jesus said in Mark 1 15. Now, after 1 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, Listen to this the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus says, Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is a changing of the mind. Repentance changes how we think about sin and how we think about Christ. That's what it means. Repent and believe in the gospel is what Jesus said, and you will be saved. Saved from the wrath of God, and you will have eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? We all got that? Good. Every human has to be saved. Needs to be saved. <laughs> have to be saved. They need to be saved. It would be great if they all got saved. So let me say this when we move on. Here's, here's what happens when people are looking to be saved from the wrong, from the wrong thing. If anyone is looking to Jesus to be saved from anything but the wrath of God, then the words of God will have no meaning. They will become deaf to the word. They will become blind to Jesus' real mission. They will harden their hearts, and instead of turning from sin, they end up turning from Jesus, just like they did during the final Passover. But at the beginning of that week, they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise God who will save us now. Now, when they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, everyone knew where these words came from. They came from Psalm 118. Now, Psalm 118 is an amazing psalm that speaks of the resurrection. So as believers, we proclaim that Jesus Christ has risen, and then in Christ, we too shall rise. And then we proclaim that God's steadfast love endures forever. That is verse 1 of Psalm 118. God's steadfast love endures forever. But like I said, anyone who came to Jerusalem for Passover, they knew this psalm. It was one of the psalms that were sung each morning by the temple choir during the major Jewish festivals. Now, psalm, this psalm, 118, was most likely sung as the people entered the temple. It proclaimed God's deliverance from Egypt and later on from exile. This psalm had speaking parts for the leader leaders and congregations. So think about this. Think about hearing all of those thousands of voices responding when the leader said in 118.24, let Israel say, and they would all respond. They would say, his steadfast love endures forever. He would say, let the house of Aaron say, and they would respond, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. How beautiful that must have been. How beautiful that sound must have been. His steadfast love endures forever, spoken with thousands and thousands of voices. And as the people proceeded into the temple, they get to verse 19, which says, open to me the gates of righteousness. And the condition for entrance is given to them in verse 20. The righteous shall enter through it. The righteous. And then the festival procession proceeds up to the altar to adorn it with signs of victory. 
So picture in your mind, the physical movement begins outside the temple, progressing inside and all the way to the altar, proclaiming this psalm as the people express their faith in God. They are saying, since God has saved them in the past, he can be trusted to save us in the future because his steadfast love endures forever. As believers, we see in this psalm the foreshadowing of Jesus, a movement from humiliation to exaltation. As we put our eyes on Jesus, we see his rescue from death is a new exodus, a fresh sign that God's steadfast love endures forever. <clears throat> His exaltation means our own. In this new exodus, we are delivered, we are saved, we are part of the resurrection, and we sing with great joy in our hearts because we know that His steadfast love endures forever. had to be amazing sight to see this. So as Jesus entered Jerusalem on that date, on that day, he was being obedient to the Father's will, and he was fulfilling prophecy. Hosanna, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord, who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, is coming, sit on, sitting on a donkey. All of that is to fulfill prophecy. So picture this. Everyone's worshiping. They're all excited. They're singing Psalm 18. They're proclaiming the truth. They're proclaiming that the king is coming to town. Everyone, get out here quick, quick. The king is coming to set us free. Look, right there he is. There's the king right there on a donkey. On a donkey? Really? Look at our king riding in on a donkey. You know how my mind goes. I'm thinking about the Roman soldiers standing up there. They're on high alert. It's Passover. There's a lot of stuff going on. Jesus is coming to town. People are proclaiming the king is coming. And they look out there. And all they see is, quote, the king of Israel riding on a donkey. On a donkey. They probably just shook their heads and laughed. This is your king, he said. That's your king? That's your conqueror? This is not how a king comes to town. A conquering king would come in on a white horse, not a donkey. There would be a parade showing all the spoils they had taken. A conquering king would never ride in on a donkey. But the world never sees Jesus for who he is. Because Jesus is not like an earthly king. He's the king of kings. And that doesn't compute to me. So he didn't worry about what man thought about him. He was there to do the Father's will. He came to reconcile sinful man with the holy God, not to be made a worldly king by man. Listen to what Luke says about this event. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already... 
on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in its highest. And some of the Pharisees in, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So when Jesus says that the very stones would cry out, he's conveying that he, he's conveying the idea to the Pharisees on that day. Whether you acknowledge the truth about me or not, it doesn't change what is actually true. In other words, whether you acknowledge the truth of God or not, and specifically how he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the truth still stands on its own accord and Jesus will be worshiped as king. The denial of man will not stop the worship of Jesus. Amen. Now, some say that Jesus' statement about the very stones will cry out is connected to the stones that will not be left upon uh, one another when, the, when they destroyed the temple. And I want to point that out, too, because Jesus did. He talked about that. Listen to what he says in Luke 1941. And when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you even would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not, they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is saying that Jerusalem's destruction most notably the imagery of its rubble will be an image that will cry out from those stones. And it cries out to their judgment for rejecting him. In the statement, the very stones will cry out. Jesus is connecting Israel's history and their own judgment to himself. Here's what he says. If they have rejected him, then they have rejected God himself. The temple is laid bare. And it is the judgment of God on the nation of Israel for rejecting God. Jesus was grieved by the rejection of the Jewish leaders then. And he was also grieved by the people's superficial attitude towards him. He knew that many were hailing him as the Messiah and King on that day. And then would cry for his death on the following Friday. Jesus wept, he says. Jesus wept as he looked upon Jerusalem. It broke his heart. He wept because he saw what lay ahead for the nation. War, suffering, destruction, and a scattered people. The nation of Israel had wasted its opportunity. Their leaders did not know the time of God's visitation. They were ignorant to their own scriptures. They mocked their king. They humiliated him. They humiliated him and put him on a cross. But the next time, the next time Israel sees the king, the scene will be radically different. He will come in glory, not in humility, and the armies of heaven will accompany him. 
It will be a scene of victory as he comes to defeat his enemies and establish his kingdom forever and ever. And he will be on a white horse the next time. Amen. But on that day, he wept. On that day, he wept. His disciples, verse 16, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had done to him. This is what I call following the light that God has given you. They did not understand it at first, but they kept following. You know, they read this about the disciples. I couldn't help but think about my own journey, my own walk with God. All I knew in the beginning when I heard the gospel was that Jesus had forgiven me and that one day I would spend, I would be in heaven and spend eternity with him. That, that's all I knew at the time. But that's, you know, but with that knowledge, I wanted to know more about the one who loved me. I wanted to know more about the one who, even though he knew every sin I had ever committed and would commit, he still loved me. I had to know more about Jesus. And so I began studying the word and have been studying for, and I looked it up, 28 years. Time's flying. Time's flying. And I'm still learning. I'm learning. Which is amazing. I've studied this book for 28 years and cannot exhaust it. That is, I'm still learning every time I open these pages. That alone confirms to me that this is indeed the word of God. If man had written it, I would have read it maybe twice and thrown it away. But you can't do that with the word of God. Listen, folks, the journey never ends. It just keeps getting better and better. So I encourage you, know God's word, study God's word, immerse yourself in God's word. It keeps you from being deaf and blind when it comes to the things of God. When did the word say that the disciples remembered? It was when Jesus was glorified. What did Jesus being glorified have to do with their memory? Well, if we look ahead in chapter 14, Jesus made a promise to the 12. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all that I said to you. When he heard the truth comes, Jesus said, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. It is the spirit of God that guided them and all of us in the truth. We all have the same Holy Spirit that guides us. And that should encourage all of us. I've heard people say, well, I'm no super apostle like Paul. I don't have the faith that Paul had. But you can. Paul was a man just like us, filled by the same Holy Spirit. We are just like Paul. The same Holy Spirit is every is in every one of us. So we all could be a super, well, we can't be a super apostle, but we can all be supers. That's my favorite movie. But anyways, verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb 
and raised him from the dead continues to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet with him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. What an understatement. The world has gone after him. But here are the Jewish leaders. They are watching that great crowd gathering and honoring Jesus, something they wanted from the people. But they are watching all of this and they're starting to feel defeated. The world has gone after him, they said. They're probably thinking that Jesus is going to come into Passover and raise like 30 people from the dead. Everybody's going to follow him. You know, they don't have anything to combat that raising one from the dead. But why are they feeling defeated? Why is there hatred in their heart? Why are they jealous? Remember, they hardened their own hearts. They were deaf when it came to the word and blind when it came to Jesus. They were so deaf that they never understood that the Messiah must suffer. Even though it's repeated, it's a repeated theme in the scriptures over and over again. The word clearly says there can be no glory unless there is suffering. Jesus knew that he must die on the cross before he could enter into glory. He says it in Luke. 2024, if you remember, Jesus comes to the two walking uh, back to Emmaus. This is after his death and resurrection. And Jesus asked them, said, hey, what y'all talking about? And they turn around and go, man, where you been? You don't know what happened? You don't know what happened? You don't know what happened to Jesus? They look at Jesus and go, you don't know what happened? And Cleopas begins telling Jesus what happened to Jesus. I'm going to pick up in verse 22. Listen to this. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had, had said. But him they did not see. And then Jesus says this. Jesus is speaking to them. He says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's saying all of this is in the scriptures. All of it's in there. And I love what Jesus does after he says this to them. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Concerning himself. This entire book is about Jesus. It is about Christ. It tells of his suffering that had to come and his, and his return to glory. It tells it over and over again. But the Jewish theologians were not clear in their minds concerning the suffering of the Messiah and the glorious kingdom that the prophets announced. Which is sad. Because they were the ones who were to teach the word. To teach the scriptures to the people. They were to be, they were the ones who were to be a light unto the world. But they knew so little about Jesus. They never saw him 
in the scriptures. They missed it. They were deaf and blind. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So then came to Philip. So, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went to and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. This is such a beautiful verse. Doesn't seem like much. But here we have Jesus going into Jerusalem. And the cross is just a few days away. And John thinks it's necessary that he should tell us about some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. Why is that important? All this stuff's going on, and Jesus, and John puts in here, some Greeks wanted to see Jesus. Well, we all know who the gospel is for, right? The gospel is to be preached to all people of every nation. It's for everyone, right? Yet, in the scriptures, we see it was God's desire that the gospel be offered first to his chosen people, that is Israel. Jesus told us, the Samaritan woman, that salvation is from the Jews. That is, not only did it originate with them, since Jesus the Messiah was a Jew, but it was also offered to them first. When Jesus sent the 12 on a mission trip, the Lord charged them, do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when a Gentile woman begged him to heal her demon-possessed daughter, Jesus tested her faith by telling her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was only after his death and resurrection after Israel had officially rejected his ministry, that Jesus commanded the disciples that repentance for forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem and then from there. So, yes, the word did go to the Jews first, but here's the problem. As the recipients of God's Old Testament covenant promises, the Jews considered themselves to be superior to the pagan Gentiles because of their God and had no interest in letting Gentiles in. Sad to say, their pride blinded them, and that's why they never saw Jesus in the scriptures. You see, the blessing of salvation was, was never meant to be limited exclusively to Israel. On the day of the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem, a song of thanksgiving was sung that included a reiteration of Israel's duty to declare the true God to the nations. The word did go to the Jew first, but it was supposed, was supposed to go out into the world from there. It, they were supposed to, supposed to claim it to the nations. So why does John tell us about some Greeks that wanted to see Jesus? I believe it's a glimpse of the church that was to come. It's a picture of the new covenant that Jesus was going to make in, with his blood in just a few days. The church is made up of all nations. The gospel will be preached to all nations. And Jesus answered them, and we will look at that next week. But John put that in there. We've got this little picture of what's going to happen. After the suffering of our Savior, then he goes to his glory, and the church 
is born. It was born for everyone, everyone, every nation. So I close with this. Put yourself outside the city of Jerusalem on that day. You're one of the people who are excited because the king is coming. You are throwing down your coat and palm branches in front of Jesus. You are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, please save. Hosanna, give us salvation now. Praise God who will save us now, you are shouting. But I want you to search your heart and make sure you know what you need to be saved from. Because if anyone is looking to Jesus to be saved from anything but the wrath of God, then the words of God will have no meaning. You will become deaf to the word. You will become blind to Jesus' real mission. You will harden your heart, and instead of turning from sin, you will end up turning from Jesus. So I say to you, come to Jesus to be saved from the wrath of God. Come to Jesus to be forgiven of your sins. Come to Jesus and have life. And immerse yourself in his word so your light can shine in a lost and dying world. Amen. Amen.